Welcome to the Change Cultivators podcast, where we help leaders activate and navigate the change they find their businesses in. I'm Rosenboy, and I'm here with my co-host, Patrick Fitzmaurice. Hello, Roz. Excited to be with you once again on this discussion and really, really excited about the dialogue we're about to have. Fantastic. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Melissa Peterson, Chief Limitless Officer of Longevity Experts Network. Melissa is a sought-out visionary female leader and transformational epigenetics coach. She is redefining the limits of what is possible in human flourishing. At a very personal level, Melissa uh, really looks at how to express an individual's highest outcome in business, health, and life. So, Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so fantastic to be here. Well, where to start? Where to start for our listeners? Melissa started in WCW TV wrestling and then went on to chiropractics and human performance. How, where, what, Melissa? Tell us how your journey started <laughs> and how it seems so random. What is like, well, it's, it's a very, very interesting journey. It's a very there's always journey. a backstory, right? Roz, there's always a backstory. Um, I'll keep it short, but the backstory actually, this is going to sound long, began when I was two and a half years old as a dancer. So I started dancing when I was very young, um, loved it. And that really is kind of what led and informed a lot of my early life decisions. Um, as I was dancing, young age, parents got divorced. And when they did, I had to stop dancing. Uh, there was no money to be able to continue. And so, you know, it was a really interesting time. Uh, my stepfather at the time was highly abusive. Uh, all of a sudden, I went from having kind of this really lovely, normal, whatever that is, childhood, to a very isolated, uh, remote, and, you know, separate kind of childhood away from the everyday life. And so, and all the things that I loved. And so, so somehow, through all of that, I still held on to my love of dance and I would go down into the basement every day and nothing was going to stop me. Right. And, and I had a poster on my wall and it was, you know, total 1980s rhetoric, but if you can see it, you can achieve it. If you can dream it, you can uh, become it. And I just kept saying, you know, I believe more is possible for me. I believe that my life is more than this limited version of reality right now. And I didn't know how I knew that. You know, I just had this kind of inner sense of more was possible. And I was on a mission to figure it out. Um, and, and so dance, I would say, kind of saved me. It kind of moved me forward. It kept me going. And that is actually one of the things that led me into some pretty amazing places. And interestingly enough, I was actually in chiropractic, getting my doctorate of chiropractic when some pretty big opportunities came to me through dance um, and that led me to television. So I actually got to audition for the with a piece that I did for the 1996 Olympics. Again, totally dating myself, but it was that piece. It was that opportunity. Talk about being on the largest world stage, right? Like right there, opening ceremonies, dancing in front of all the incredible leaders from around the globe. And then that opened up all these doors into just television and music videos and, and yes, all the way to the crazy wild world of wrestling. <laughs> and so I was a chiropractor and a wrestler simultaneously, but we were the number one rated show on television at the time. And so again, like these stages kept getting really massive. It was live television every week. And I cut my teeth in media and business and marketing um, on the biggest stage. And it was, it was really quite phenomenal. 
That is fantastic. And then you moved into full-time chiropractor work and now you are, are working as an entrepreneur. You are coaching business leaders from all over the world, um, particularly in the medical space. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was kind of the, the short transition is, you know, we went from the number one show to all of a sudden things were canceled and I had my practice. I was, I was still in it. So it was kind of this dual existence, right? I'd be out on the road, out on television and back home seeing patients in our practice. Um, and I, at that time, you know, when everything went away and this was the first big moment of change, right? Like everything as I knew it came to an end, just like that. We were number one until we weren't. And then it was, the show was done. Uh, the path that I thought I was on was over. And, and I was married at the time. And that marriage came to an immediate halt as well. And so all of a sudden, there is my life. And I got to say, hey, I can do anything I want. What is it that I want? And where am I at? You know, it was a combination of dark night of the soul, major personal discovery, as well as pure limitless potential that was also very exciting, as well as terrifying. And that is when I started my first, I knew I had this vision. I loved being on a stage in television. I knew what I learned from that time was there was a powerful medium of one to many. And for some reason, some way, you know, people really responded to me uh, through that medium. And so I set out to have uh, the first, this was back in the early 2000s, multimedia health and wellness company. And so I was creating products and programs and I was putting things together. You know, we are all, we all are taught to look at the world and business in a very mechanistic linear lens, yet the reality of life and every business, every relationship is truly a complex system. And my brain has always understood the complexity and the interconnection of, of how pieces come together. And so I was doing this and all of a sudden professionals were coming to me and I still had a practice through all of this, but it really led and grew over the years to more and more professionals seeking me out, brands and businesses seeking me out saying, how do we do wellness? I'm like, what do you mean? How do you do wellness? How do you not know how to do wellness? And I realized like, oh wait, people don't understand how the pieces fit together. Ah, okay. No worries. I got this. I can easily support them in understanding how to create programs and paths and systems, business systems, wellness systems, all of it that create enhanced outcomes. And so that's really kind of the trajectory day-to-day -day business as well as moving into consulting. And yes, it's now, you know, I work I work with some of the most amazing visionaries and luminaries and thought leaders in the health optimization and human performance lane. Mm. And what was that thing that made you personally say, I'm going to give up my full-time chiropractic business to go and really jump out into the water of the unknown? Because obviously, you know, you've got that um, predictable income. Everybody loves a like, nice, structured, safe life to then go, I'm going to go try something new. You know, obviously you were getting feedback saying we want it, but it's still a very scary jump to make. What drove you to move from comfort to discomfort? Yeah, that's a really great question. Our comfort becomes more important than the current discomfort we have in comfort. And here's what I mean. Yes, I had a love, I had a very fulfilling practice, a incredibly busy practice, loved what I was doing, loved my patients and clients, um, had a lot of local coverage through the Atlanta areas where my practice was at at the time. I was on television all the time, educating, outreaching, informing, and it was so fulfilling. And yet at the same time, it wasn't. And here's why. It was one-to-one. 
versus one to many. And, and I was at the time, my son was young. He's still young. He's a teenager now, but where my practice was versus where my home was, I had to sit on 285 around Atlanta every day for upwards of three hours. And it didn't matter if I left earlier, if I left later, I, I played with every combination. Some days I'd get lucky and make it in 75 minutes, but some days it would be over two hours to get into my practice. And, you know, it became a quality of life conversation. And I really sat down and, and I had to really assess and say, okay, this isn't just my life. This is my family's life as well. And what do we as a family want? What, what matters the most? Because the very reason that I'm doing this, yes, I want to impact change. Yes, I want to elicit greater states of human flourishing and thriving in others. But if I'm not even doing it in my own life, then am I really making my impact? And so I had to turn the mirror on myself and get real with myself and say, I, I don't want to have to give up that time with my family. I want to be with my husband. I want to be with my son. I don't want to miss. They were waiting until 8.30 at night to eat dinner with me, my little guy, right? And then you have to go right to bed. So I get maybe 30 minutes a day. And that just wasn't, that just wasn't a thriving life to me. So I intentionally redesigned uh, what was going to be possible. And yes, I said, okay. I'm giving myself a time limit and I, I made a year plan of transition. And so I intentionally during that time began to put into practice, into motion, my virtual business, how to make that change. So I, I did have a plan and, you know, I had that vision and we got there even in nine months instead of 12 and I have never looked back. It's been amazing. It's fascinating, right? So clearly a couple of things that I'm hearing, Melissa, and thank you so much for sharing it with our listeners. So clearly you have a tendency to get stuck in a rut. <laughs> Not, right? You <laughs> right now, I mean, the diversity of things that you've migrated <laughs> yeah. through, right? So, you yeah. know, uh, many of our listeners, I can hear them going, you know, I, I'm, I've, I've been on this treadmill and I've kind of put myself on this path and I came out of the best business school and they taught me frameworks and that's what I do. And I, I operationalize things. And mm. it, it is sometimes a kick in the butt to people like that to say, no, 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 time out. It doesn't have to be like that. And so I love how you talk about it from your personal change journey, right? Your personal reinvention to say, look, no, no, wait. Yeah. I went to school to be a chiropractor. So cool. That's going to be my life. It's like, uh, no, I could use that in a different way. Or, yeah. you know, I, for somehow I was in TV and media and I could have done that, but no. And so what do you think is the click from a human dynamic standpoint that just says to somebody, you don't actually have to accept the way you're doing what you do today. You can actually be empowered. I hear empowerment in you. I yes. hear this notion of not being afraid. I hear a little bit of fearlessness. I hear, you know, charting your own course and not being subject to somebody else telling you, how, how do you coach from all of your perspectives, which are so unique and powerful? How do you coach somebody to say, no, wait a minute, you don't have to be that way. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great question, Patrick. First, I want everybody to know that fear is natural. And so I think if we could all be a bit more gentler and kinder to ourselves. So we have to realize that there is something much larger happening around us, which is a cultural narrative. And so we're all brought into this world and literally from the age of zero to about seven, the way the brain is downloading information is in more of a dreamlike um, unconscious kind of state. And so there are different brain waves and, and from zero to seven, we're moving in really more of these 
theta brainwaves. And theta is the space of imagination. It is really where we begin to access flow state and alpha is pure flow state. And we'll talk about that throughout this interview because that's a huge tool that businesses need to know about today. But what happens is that, so when we're little, we're just downloading and we're taking all this information in. We're taking in all this programming from the people we love, from our teachers, again, from our cultural editors, the world around us that's informing us of quote unquote, the rules, right? And then we grow and we become an adult and we continue to follow those rules. We are taught to be good girls and boys and dot the I's and cross the T's. So we're doing what we think we're supposed to do. And as we evolve on our own personal journey, you know, we each kind of come to these moments at different times and different spaces and places in different ways. And we feel like, I'm just not happy. Something doesn't quite feel right. And we bump into, we bump into our first level of resistance. And now many of us, we think up, oh, just suck it up, you know, keep calm, carry on, keep moving forward. Don't let them see you sweat. You know, we, we default to these programs and we don't take the time to really ask, wait a minute, are these my truths? Are these my stories? Are these my, does this make sense and resonate fully for me and the person that I desire to be? And so it's important that we all realize like you're going to bump into stuff. It's going to feel scary. It's going to feel unclear. And you're going to think it's you and something's wrong with you. It's not you and nothing is wrong with you. That's step one. That's step one. And the moment that we can really get that, like really get that, let that sink in fully. Then we do soften and we stop judging and blaming and coulda, woulda, shoulding all over ourselves. Right. And then we can move into, you know, some, uh, some, some ways to really access eliciting change. And, and we can talk about that, but I want to give a break in case there's any questions that you have for me just on that, because I know I just kind of dropped a lot right there. No, and I love it. And just to kind of dig, dig deeper, you mentioned this kind of pivotal developmental age of yeah. zero to seven, right? And, and how the human brain is functioning and how people are identifying a self, self-identity and kind of putting themselves in the context of the cultural and environmental world that they live in. Um, we had Duncan Wardle, the ex-VP of Creativity and Innovation of Disney on board. And Duncan says in a lot of his workshops as he helps people become more creative and build more behavioral techniques around behavior innovation, said, you know, we lose some of what made us unique as children, right? Because we immediately start putting ourselves, so at some point we hit that trigger point. You put it at like seven or eight years old, where we're like, wait a minute, no, no, no. I have to start maybe conforming. I have to start defining myself more from external or versus my internal. And a lot of times adults have to unlock that again, right? To say, wait a minute, no, that happened, but it didn't have to happen that way. I could have been more conscious and I'm more thoughtful. You used the word intentional earlier. I could have had a more intentional way to think about that. Just touch on that a little deeper as you work with you know, business leaders and the people in the healthcare space. That seems to be a common human dynamic that you kind of lose some of that stuff from your early childhood. And those that seem to be wildly successful, you could say, kind of find a way to resurface it and bring it back. Melissa, before you jump in, it also sounds like, you know, you're talking about we start to put limitations on ourselves. So when we're a child, we don't have limitations, but as an adult, we start to put limitations on ourselves. Yes. And and here, and I'm so glad you just said that, Roz, because that was exactly where I was going to go with this. And the interesting thing is we do not consciously, we're not consciously putting limitations on ourselves. We all want the best, right? We, 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 start out every day with the best intentions of how the day and life and relationships and business and all of it will go. Yet we are, we, so we don't realize where we're putting these perceived limitations. And again, many of these go back to 
the, the narrative, the narrative, our cultural editors, kind of what's already in the unconscious. And so one of the places to start, and, you know, with your question, Patrick, you know, kind of how do we begin to unpin this? And so when we first, so step one is when you become aware that you're bumping in, and we'll just call it resistance. Let's just say resistance. And resistance doesn't have to be bad. It's just a point of going, ah, there's something going on here that I'm kind of fighting against or with. And remember, A, you're not broken, you're not wrong, doesn't mean you need to go be put on a medication. Uh, it, not, you know, I'm not saying like all of a sudden just think like give in and just surrender. This is a time of awakening. The moment you begin to feel resistance is an opportunity to unpin this and to say, hmm, could there be something here for me? Right? Could there be something here for me? So I really like to begin with the power of questions. And the better the question, the better the answer. And what happens with a question is, of course, the brain is going to answer it. It's going to find the answer. And you know, maybe some of your guests have talked about this in the past, but there's a part of the brain called the reticular activating system. That what the RAS is known to do is the brain is constantly filtering, right? It's filtering just so much data that's coming in. And our conscious mind can really only hold on to plus or minus. At this point, they're even saying four. They used to say five to seven bits of data, but we're so multitask, right? We're so inundated that we have even shorter attention spans. So consciously, we can only hold on to a bit. And so the brain has to say, well, what's important? What's worth my attention? And so basically what we tell it it's going to be on the lookout for, whether we tell it all the bad things and everything that we're upset about and everything that's going wrong or the good things, it's going to begin to notice. This leads to a phenomenon called cognitive dissonance or cognitive bias. So we all have these biases of how we view the world. You see it differently than I see it, than Roz sees it. And for many reasons. So where I'm going with this is that the moment we come into resistance, many of us lock down, right? Fight flight, or freeze. The brain is designed to do that because foundationally, the brain's number one job is to keep us alive. And so that's our primitive brain at work. It's triggered. It's going to be triggered. Yet the moment we shift into conscious awareness, I'm triggered. I'm disrupted. This doesn't necessarily jive with me anymore. Maybe this used to be true and this is how I used to handle things, but I don't really like, I'm not getting the results anymore in the same way that feel really good to me. So the moment that happens, here's how we underpin it is to say, wait a minute, fight, flight, or freeze. My brain is just going to try to keep me lodged right where I'm at to protect me. Thank you, brain. But I can become conscious and override my primitive brain. I can now direct my brain into a better response for me. Okay. And I'll keep talking on that, but I think I, that there's something I'm seeing that Roz has for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just, it was just reminding me, we, we had a conversation with a wonderful woman, uh, Cassandra um, Worthy recently, and, and sh- we discussed with her, you know, she speaks about that negative energy and the negative energy being the fuel for growth. You know, you speak about fight or flight, do you freeze or do you go? Mm-hmm. And really the negative energy is necessary for you to grow because it's really what moves you into to a new state. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and also another thing we discussed, which, which links to what you're saying is, you know, the importance of stepping out of the situation, you know, you saying, ask the questions mm-hmm. and, and, and figure out what is important to focus on. Cause when you're in a situation, it just seems so overwhelming. She was talking about, 
the first time she was told her, you know, she was going to lose her job and how overwhelmed she was. And she wanted it just, you know, it, it, no, it wasn't, she was losing her job. The company was going through a merger. So she assumed she was right. going to lose her job. Um, and she, you know, we, we just spoke about how when you step out of it, it's actually, is there opportunity here? You know, is this opportunity for me to open my own business or do different things that I have yeah. been, you know, too stuck in a rut to do? So I think it's such an interesting perspective because you can get overwhelmed and it really is taking that moment to breathe, to step back, to really think about what's actually going on. And I love your, your um, point on the brand can only hold on to four things. And I think for our listeners, that's so important. Yeah. It's constantly just stepping out and actually, even if it's just writing down, you know, what am I focusing on in this moment? What am I focusing on in this conversation with my boss or my colleague? You know, I can't go into a productive conversation fueled with emotion and no focus because I'm not going right. to get anywhere. And, and there's, there's two things I want to say to that. It's interesting. You know, I had to make the shift, the intentional shift for myself, um, having both my own business as well as being a partner in another large entity and having a platform with more than 50 of today's, you know, health innovators and leaders. So in essence, I've, I don't want to say I'm managing them, right? But I've got a team. I got a lot of things happening on any given moment on any given day. And in kind of bringing this longevity experts network to market and bringing the summit out and getting the book all together and coming out, what was happening is there were so many moving parts. And step one is all of a sudden, as a visionary, we we can see, we can see it all the way, right? Like all of a sudden we can see what it, it will be. We know it fully, and we've got that big picture. And then all of a sudden we think that we have to start filling in all every step, every detail, every how-to. And that's the exact wrong thing. Okay. So you need to create the vision, create it. You know where you're going. Now you've got your roadmap. And then you've got to come back into this moment and say, fantastic. What is, you know, what are the one to three? We don't want to go more than three. And this is not new advice I'm about to give, right? But it's the foundation. It's the basics that we forget and we have to get this in and get it right. What are the one to three essential things that I need to do today that will align me with and allow this project to move forward? And so when I was able and to just keep refocusing myself, like, first of all, I get so much more done. It's not just I'm done with three things and I'm done. More falls in. But I've allowed my brain to focus, exactly to your point, Roz, to focus instead of taking all this extra energy and thinking I've got to manage all these things that I really don't. And I've got a team. I've got other people. I'm like, just stop. Stay focused on your part. Delegate as you need to right? And, and guess what? You don't need to focus on that today. That time will come. So I think if we first, again, just keep it simple, we overcomplicate and we think because we want to be great leaders. We want, you know, we want great results that we have to micromanage every step. And that's absolutely incorrect. And even with our teams, if we actually allow space for people to create, to step up, to step into their roles, they they may disappoint us, but more often than not, they will surprise and delight us and greater outcomes can occur, right? Yeah, I I love it. And I, I, I often kind of try to listen to our guests thinking about what our listeners are thinking, right? So I'm going to describe a persona to you, right? So one of our listeners in my head, right, my hypothetical listener is, you know, a senior vice president of some function at a big company. They've got a boss. They've got a team, right? They went to the best business school. They've learned frameworks. They've learned process. They kind of know what they do on that way. And you have just told them that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> say, say, don't, no, wait a minute. You don't 
have to overthink and overplan every step. You actually don't need to do X, Y, Z. You are unlocking some kind of leadership behavior that I think is really critical in a time of disruption for them. Um, how would you kind of rally that into one little concise message for them? It's like, you know, got it. I got where you, how you got where you are. I got that disruptions coming around you and your challenge to drive your team for success and deliver back to the organization, et cetera. How would you boil that down to something that just say, if you had them in your coaching moment, yeah. what would you be telling them? Okay. So here's what I do. The first thing I would, I would have them get into flow and, and here is why the, the very words, right. When all of a sudden we think like, and you can feel it, it is palpable, this idea, especially when we are a high level leader and there's a lot of responsibility for us. And this idea that we're in disruption and we have to evoke change and we've got to manage and, and support. And all of a sudden you can just feel the resistance. It's feeling like we're trying to push. We're trying. And that's the word hear that we're trying Okay, stop and first and foremost, breathe. Step one, believe it or not, breath is the key to unlock your, your resource state. And when I say breath, I don't mean just take a breath. Most people breathe incorrectly and they're actually breathing in an anxiety state breath rate. So we want to breathe gently in and out through our nose, not through our mouth. We want, and especially a lot of leaders and executives have to talk a lot every day. So they're dumping a lot of CO2. They're not maintaining, they're imbalancing their oxygen to carbon dioxide ratio, and they're actually feeling depleted. It's creating greater, in a, in a state of, uh, of anxiousness, of kind of brain fog, of, of indecisiveness. So first let's regulate the breath. Let's intentionally keep it soft and gentle in and out through the nose, and let's slow the breath rate down a bit. Let's check our body posture. Let's make sure that we're not slumped and in the dumps, but we are just nice and tall and easy. We're open because the moment our shoulders are rounded, we're on tech, we're on devices. We're also limiting the amount of oxygen. We are limiting um, just, and we'll just keep it at oxygen for right now. There's a lot of other neurological things happening, but we're reducing oxygen flow. We all know we need oxygen to the brain, to the cells, right? For health. So let's go ahead and just be in a nice neutral lifted state. Let's slow down and make that gentle breathing. Let's see if we can get it into the abdomen. This is step one of creating ease, of releasing some of that stress, that physical, mental, or emotional stress effect on the body. This is also step one into moving into flow state. Tremendous amount of research on flow, and you guys have probably talked about this before, but this is, this is the key for the future. Any corporation, any leader, any team needs to begin to embrace and understand how to access flow because this actually elicits greater states of creativity and productivity. I, I love it. So don't assume that we've already covered that because I will tell you not enough people talk about this and we haven't had a chance to do it. So so cl close out the rest of that story as you kind of summarize flow. And I know there's a lot in there, but if you had to kind of go, okay, good. I've paused in this particular moment and I've breathed and I've got myself physically recentered for the mental task at hand and the managerial challenge that I have. Got it. But, okay. Give me the summary of this flow thing. I can hear one of our listeners going, tell me a little bit more about what this flow thing means. Go ahead, Melissa, lay it on me. Yeah, so, so flow is actually, so think of it like being in the pocket, right? You're, you're in your lane, you're in a state where there's greater ease. It just all happens. And it's, it's easy for us to remember a time in our life. Maybe it's as a child playing, maybe it's doing the thing you love the most where, where time just kind of evaporates. It either speeds up or it slows down, but there's this time disruption that occurs. And you just, all of a sudden, you're, you're just so immersed and you actually move through an experience, right? 
Um, and, and you have just this all-encompassing sense of self-awe and wonder. And, and what it does is when we kind of come into this, this space within our, our brain of how our brain waves are, are firing, then we really are in this, like literally the word flow. Imagine you are flowing with your own creative genius. You access clearer thinking, faster outcomes, greater productivity, greater connection, cohesion, cohesion, collaboration. And it's just this altered, this heightened state, altered and heightened state of just like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Yeah, I <laughs> love it. I'm keeping it very simple, right? Like it's, this is really awesome. It's clarity. It's it's getting yes. the mental clarity. And yes. I, I don't think enough companies spend time with their leaders on the softer side of management. You know, in one of my previous leadership roles in the corporate world, we actually had a three-day retreat with a coach from India. Um, and he was a wellness coach, and he spoke specifically on this topic on how leaders need to slow down, and we speak about stepping out. I mean, he would even say to us little things that you think, is this a waste of money that I'm training my staff on stuff like this? But he'd say, if you're having a stressful moment, go to the bathroom, go sit, put the toilet seat down, go sit on the toilet, and you're talking about breath, and he'd say, listen to your breathing. Like, if you can't focus, just block everything out and hear your breath, like breathe six counts in, six counts out. And it is such a simple technique Mm -hmm. that you walk out there going, okay, the anxiety's gone, the panic's gone. Like I now am just totally focused on what I want to do. And you can up-level that with even body posture. And this is, of course, Harvard study, Amy Cuddy, you know, just taking the power pose. So in less than two minutes, in less than two minutes, you can, you can increase testosterone, which is the hormone of, you know, really of clarity and decisiveness by more than 35%. And you can lower cortisol. So the stress hormone and and what cortisol is going to do, it literally shrinks the hippocampus of the brain, shrinks our ability to remember. So the more stress, the more we're in that stressed state, the more disrupted we are and the less resourceful we actually are. So it, it behooves us to pause for a moment to align with ourselves. And it, and just let's, I mean, for today, it's keep it simple, just get the breath right. And if you want to add on another layer, stand in power pose. So that's kind of that wonder woman or Superman pose. And just, I literally, I, I'm always standing in power pose and it's not because I'm feeling stressed, but it's like, it's just that natural state. And it's also a natural leader position and stance. People respond to it. So I'd like to just shift um, our listeners' focus to the Longevity Summit, which you've just had and which ran between the 14th and the 17th of October. And Melissa, you brought together 50 of the world's top optimization leaders. And I think the thing I'd love you to talk to our listeners about is who these people were um, because each of them are within themselves leaders in, in their, their own industry. And you kind of think, well, what do they need to learn? You know, they, they're some of the top professionals in the world. But you saw a need to bring these 50 people together in a summit. Yeah. Why? What was the need? What did you see that you thought there is a place for this right now in this, this constant world of change we're going through where people... I'll leave it up to you. <laughs> I, I love this. Well, first of all, we know we're in a time of massive disruption where the globe is going through disruption, right? And so while we see a lot of people shutting down, the the one thing that um, remains constant is, well, we're here, we're alive, and there is this path that we have to move forward. And to move through disruption, we can either do it in with a state of resilience, almost an anti-fragile state, um, optimizing our brain, our body, our being, so that 
even as things are disruptive, we can still love life. We can still thrive. Like it doesn't mean that everything has to be doom and gloom. And I think one of the places, you know, my goal was I want to redefine what age means because the reality that aging means decline, frailty, loss of vitality and vigor, um, you know, kind of a short span and we're out of here, you know, by 78, depending on where you're at in the world, there's a span, but let's just call it 78 as kind of the, the main average. And I'm like, I know, first of all, we have the outliers, centenarians. Okay, great. Why can some of them smoke and drink and, you know, play by their own rules and they're living to 112? Other people are vegan and marathon runners and dropping dead of a heart attack at 35. Like, what is really going on, right, when we look at it? And, of course, my love of epigenetics, which I know we didn't get a lot of time to talk about today, but it's this whole understanding of your genetic blueprint. Your genetic code is your blueprint. It's just your blueprint of potential. Your genes do not determine your destiny at all. Yet your genetic code, it, in, it's, it's literally, I like to think of it as ingredients, right? Just pure potential ingredients waiting to be mixed. Epigenetics is the science of how environment, the signals from the environment are literally informing how those ingredients come together, how they're mixed, how they elicit, how they turn on or off or up or down. And the environment is both the physical, literal space we're in, the air we're breathing, the thoughts we're thinking, the foods that we're eating. And what we often don't realize is that we are this bioinformatic organism that's constantly being informed. And this is just like a business. There are all these signals coming in all the time where the outer world is informing and influencing the inner world to create a result. Now, when it came to longevity for me, I'm just like, so much more is possible. It's like the four minute mile. It was said, you know, Robert Barrett, it's impossible. He knew it was possible. And then the moment he did it within the next week, 11 other people achieved the same, uh, you know, goal. Like, so we are able to absolutely live to 120, but we're actually able to live much longer than that. And we are at this time where technology and age reversal sciences are converging. And there's still this place where we must remember we are human. And how can we bring our humanity, our ancient traditions and wisdoms and blend this together? Because it all seems very complex and confusing, but really to live a thriving life, to have an amazing career, to have amazing relationships, to have incredible vitality, and to live a long time is is very possible and doable. So for me, it was about let's bust one of, let's disrupt one of the biggest misconceptions and perceived limitations that many of us hold, which is what's possible for how long we can live and how well we can live while we're doing it. So well said. Who are the speakers that are that are that are, that you've got on oh, or had goodness. on? Yeah, we have a lot of speakers. So um, Aubrey de Grey is one of the most internationally famous uh, longevity leaders out there. Aubrey is one of our big speakers on it. Dr. Duncan Ross, who's a PhD developer of exosomes and the technology that's coming that will literally be able to do everything from, you know, disrupt cancer uh, to truly extending lifespan in a significant way. He's one of our incredible guests. Dr. Sandra Kaufman, she's written the Kaufman Protocol and really looking at the tenets of aging. Uh, We've got Dr. Mercola. Dr. Joseph Mercola is one of the biggest lifestyle experts out there today. Uh, You know, Dr. Daniel Stickler, 
with uh, up here on, he's one of my partners, our, our whole team. I'm trying to think of names that, you know, there's so many. Seem Land, he is a huge best-selling Nash, uh, author. Uh, Shannon Kaiser is a number one New York Times best-selling author. Uh, Patrick McEwen, another big number one best-selling, you know, New York Times best-selling author. Many, 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 many known people out there. But what happens is each person is kind of in their lane. And that was really what I wanted to do. They're still saying, how does this all come together to, again, connect those dots? And there's these really beautiful patterns that just emerge. When you can bring together, right, all of these different systems, if you will, these different pieces of the larger system, it's like zooming out in a macro and you can see how the pieces really come together. And it's much simpler than we've been led to believe. Yeah, I you know so much of this is fascinating. I have a phrase that I use a lot when people get frustrated with another person, right? And I just kind of sigh and I go, ah, "Humans, aren't they awesome?" Like, I mean, it's just like this ocean of like, <laughs> okay, it's just like you can either get frustrated or you can just acknowledge people's humanity. And you know, we are all we are all humans. You know, there's a lot of us, and we all bring different things to the party, and we're all wired different way. Um, and you know, you can't get frustrated with that. You just have to kind of accept that in your teams and in the people around you. But I, it often comes up in lots of circumstances. I just literally say, oh yeah, humans, aren't they awesome, right? And the way I hear you talking about that, it's fascinating because you're really breaking down the inner human physiology, the inner human psychology of these things. So I wanted to hit a couple of things just to kind of lock that through for some of our listeners, right? You're kind of touching on something that I kind of wrote down a minute ago is like this this physiological nature of change, like how humans feel in a state of disruption and change. And so again, I go back to, if I'm a leader of a team, what do I have to appreciate about my team from a physiology of change of how they're reacting to it that might help me better connect with them and help them through a change transition? Is there one or two things that jump to you? Yes. Okay. I just got chills on this one. This is fun. Um, We did this, we actually did this study um, with our team over at Apuron where working with some different corporate leaders, we actually did an exercise where their team, we, and we just did the breath exercise. So first thing, step one is we had everybody just breathe for a moment, right? So we were kind of taking track of how many rates per minute somebody's breathing and, and what their physiology is like as they're doing it. And then we had people uh, basically perform another person's breathing. So all of a sudden, when they're now all of a sudden they're breathing Sally's anxious breath state, they can have an appreciation of what it feels like inside of Sally's body, why she is contracted and constricted, right? So again, something as simple as we say it's simple, but it's light breath. First thing that brings us into the world, last last breath we take takes us out of this world. We forget how powerful it really is. Um, so having an appreciation that, yes, I love what you just said, Patrick. We are sovereign beings, and we are not always going to think the same and act the same and even follow the rules the same way, even if there's been a narrative given. And if we can look and appreciate what, even in the moments of disruption, there's this whole life is happening for us, right? It's happening for us, not to us. There's a gift in all of it. So it begins with our own willingness to change our own mental frame and look for the opportunity. And it, and it can be that simple as a leader. If you, instead of going, oh my God, I got to manage all this and this is so much and this disruption and like ugh, the weight of it versus I'm going to look for the opportunity today. I'm going to look for the opportunity in my team. I'm going to look for the new ideas. I'm going to look for the fresh conversation. I'm going to look for the gifts in this moment. That in and of itself will be one of the biggest tools you can use to radically up-level yourself and the performance of your team. 
I love it. So I'm going to dig a little bit deeper and maybe go on a slightly different tangent, right? Okay. So there's lots of people who would say, okay, for me to be able to get better at that as a leader, I need a career coach or I need a business coach or I need a life coach. I have never heard anybody say, I need an epigenetic success coach, which is what you are, yeah. right? So why would that be different for somebody? Like, why would I need, why yeah. would I need that? Like, help me understand how why you're you different and why me? I would, <laughs> what, and this, and this fancy, and this fancy epigenetic word, like, what's up with that? I'm used to executive coaches and career coaches right. and sports coaches and personal trainer coaches. Help me understand that. What is that unique role? So yeah, that unique word. Well, here's what I do differently is I literally look at you, the whole you, your blueprint. We're going to start with absolutely looking at your genetic potential so that you make sense to you. And so that you can, you can align with your own sovereignty. And it's no longer about trying to fit everybody else's mold, but it's also understanding when you, un when you know your blueprint and you can then mirror that with how you are showing up, we get to simply decide, is this the right fit, right? Where you're at versus where you want to be and how you want to be during it. Are you there? And if you're not, there are very, and this is the time that we're in, Patrick, is in this lane of precision health, precision wellness, precision performance. And so we think of change as big and disruptive. These are words we've been using throughout today's conversation, but truly think, right? What is the saying that small hinges swing big doors? It's precise, small changes, and it doesn't have to be scary. So it's about working with somebody that can do more than just look at, at your, uh, at your, you know, how you're showing up through, through business. Yes, I do business. Of course. Um, it's not just how you're showing up for your nutrition, right? Like you, everything you do is informing your performance. So anyway, why me? I mean, I just take a different approach. So the fancy word of epigenetics is we're going to look truly at you and, and help you make sense to you so that you can thrive. That's it. Awesome. Perfect. Perfect. And I just love it, right? People don't think about it that way. It's like, wh what is unique about me? You use the genetics word. How does that fit in what I'm doing? And where's the disconnect? And how do I actually need to be able to think about that? And then as I drive a team forward, I've almost got to think about that for each one of my team members. And if I really deeply understand that, it's kind of giving me the full team DNA. Um, to really help me understand how I need to lead them through a time of disruption and change. I think it's also, it's also, it's change doesn't come from the top. It's, it's not a leader driving change. It's actually, if you're going to be effective in change, it is up and down. You know, you talk about an individual choice, you know, looking at yourself um, it's not, if, if I, some of our listeners are, are, are sort of asking, okay, I'm the leader, how do I control all these people? Because they've got to make the choice to be there. But I like what you said is look for the opportunities. Because I think a lot of the time as a leader, we focus on the negativity, we focus on the resistance and we go, well, we can't move forward because these people or this group of people is just being totally resistant. So it's really also about picking up those heroes who actually have made the choice to go, let's activate. And, and also change, as you say, it's incremental. It's not an event. Right. And I think when we make change an event in people's minds, it's very scary. So it's, it's, it's really, it comes from the top, but it also comes, you know, bottom up. Is, it does. Is, it's, a, it's an ecosystem that needs to work together. So mm -hmm. for our senior leaders who are mm -hmm. listening to the call, how do you embrace that within your team. So you spoke about looking for the opportunities. Yeah. Coaching is another thing. You know, how would you give these people advice on harnessing this across a group of very diverse people? Okay. So it is 
first, there's a couple of there's a couple of big things that are changing right now in business, and and it's beginning with the organization, the org chart, right? The org chart is is going to become a thing of the past as we've always known it in a very near future. So business is evolving into more of a collective. If we think of how humanity has evolved, if we think of tribe, even if we think of what COVID is having us do, we are coming back into a more tribal type of culture. And if we were to think of our businesses as a tribe, and if we were to think about, you know, so what do tribes do? Every person in the tribe has a role has a has a role of how they contribute. And so if we as leaders stopped thinking that we have to do it all. That's our yeah. that's that's an old story. That's no longer old, going to serve us. It's very old school thinking. It's a very old story. And part of that is what do we get out of telling ourselves that story? I I've got to do it all. I've got to lead it. I've got to I've got to carry them. I've got to manage them. Quit. Quit. Yeah, you get yeah. to first redefine your own story and recognize, look at it, say, if I were to realize that every single person has a point of, of collaboration, so let them identify their zone of genius of the role that they're playing. And instead of a top down, think of it like a circle. Mm-hmm. Think of your, your team as a circle and each person is an equal part in that. And so then your job isn't about managing them. Part of this is we get to step up into our own zone of genius. We get to show up. And so there is a bit, there's a little um, transition of how we're going to communicate, but it's truly saying, hey, this is, you know, we are going to now flow together. We're moving into a collaborative collective. And, and so if leaders can begin to think of it through that lens, that can start to shift how they're perceiving the people on their team and, and seeing this is the good that this person brings. This is the good that this brings. Versus and I think it's, it's also changing your mindset as a leader in that, mm-hmm. you know, in the past you would say, if I don't know everything, I look like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fake in my job. But in a world of digital, and I want you to quickly touch on the work you do with the doctors expanding, yeah. you know, online. In a world of digital, if you want to move fast enough, you have to get people around you that know more than you. And you cannot get to everything because you're just not going to move fast enough. So for a leader, it's actually shifting that mindset that old school says, well, I look incompetent, but the new school says, actually, this is a curious leader that's thinking ahead. And and I know, tell our listeners a little bit about, um, Melissa works with a lot of doctors to help them scale virtually online, which is interesting because a doctor, I'm sure in the past would go, well, why do I need the internet? You know, why do I need to be online? But what are you seeing with, with doctors today? And, and, you know, yeah. why have you chosen to focus on that? Yeah, well, this has obviously become a necessity now with COVID. So what's really interesting is, you know, and it was kind of, because before, before COVID, people just really liked what they liked. They want to get to go to their doctor, have that one-on-one experience. And, and obviously there's a lot that can happen in that, that uh, one-to-one experience in the office. But there's also something else that happens. Like, so we have to remember that a doctor's office is a business like any other business. And you can only physically see so many patients in the course of a day. And so then, you know, if you, there's a lot of overhead, there's a lot of insurance, there's a lot that goes into running these practices. And so oftentimes doctors are making less than, than like their front staff. It, it gets, it's pretty pathetic of what happens with insurance reimbursements, the whole deal. And it becomes very, very stressful. And so a doctor, I always say, let's first look for efficiency, right? Like what are the things? So step one, like I would teach them how to leverage the virtual space, even as an adjunct to what happens in the practice. 
So look, you can only touch so many lives and have so many visits. So if you want to begin to increase your income, then we have to figure out how you can see more people. So we either have to think about group models. We have to think about other products. We have to think about other resources or points of access and so um, and or shorten your time so you can see more people right and so one of those ways is how do you condense the th- same things that you're saying over and over and over again you can create videos you can create digital courses you can create and even for doctors many of them are recommending products nutraceuticals um, you know at home devices they're they're recommending things that are a point of uh, point of purchase a cash purchase I'm like then at least have an online store, right? So you don't have to you don't have to take on the expense of having hard product, you know, inventory that is, you know, now going to be, you know, uh, so let's go ahead and have a virtual store. So anyway, now what's happened, I'm just trying to be brief for time and, and let everybody, because we have so many different listeners, understand that you can leverage the virtual space to create, um, to really scale your business. And scale means there's only one of you. So how can you reach more people in the same amount of time? Well, you can do it online. And, you know, Roz, you made a really great point that kind of there's this idea that if I as a leader don't know it all, then I'm somehow going to be seen as a a fraud or, or inept or, you know, not fully equipped in my role. And it's just not a healthy environment. But here's where we're at. We are in the lane of transparency. I mean, I'm sure, I'm going to hope that every great leader knows this now. This is not a new concept. Like, this is just the digital age. And yes, we must be able to outsource. Like, it's not about us doing everything. We must identify quickly that the support that we need. There are so many ways to access amazing people. You don't have to do it all. You have to do what you do really well. And you have to be willing to show up. And the more, and this has been a big thing with doctors. I mean, you talk about people that are, they think they have to know it all right? Because that's what the patient's coming to us. I'm coming to you for the answer. What's wrong with me, doc? Well, five minutes is not enough time to to answer that question. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like there's a deeper dive that we need to do. Even the healthcare system is completely broken and how it's been set up. It's not set up to be a true healthcare system. It's a sick care system. So patients are never fully getting what they need to actually optimize health and wellness. So teaching them how to do it differently uh, with more flexibility online. That's great. And you, you, you're making me think uh, our producer, Gareth, has got me onto a woman called Brene Brown. I'm sure a lot I of our listeners Brene. know of her. And she does, she's got a thing on a show on Netflix called The Call to Courage. Um, and I just love her. And she speaks about, and we, we're seeing this a lot in our podcasts, is we are entering an era of vulnerability and empathy and leadership. And in the past, it was seen as a as a weakness, and today it's actually seen as a strength because those are the curious leaders. I speak to a lot of um, executive search firms, and I ask them often, you know, what is the difference in the leaders that you're looking for? And they're saying the leaders of today and going into the future need a very different level of vulnerability and emotional intelligence because, you know, we, there's so much changing. And there's a quote that I'm just thinking of as well. You're talking about the doctors doing something new and you go into it going, I'm going to try this new thing. I'm going to put money and time into it. And I don't know if it's going to work. And, uh, you know, it's really being brave enough to be bad at something new, you know, and, mm. and that really is, is the, um, 
the excitement of the future, I think. So, Melissa, as we wrap up, I'm going to ask you, um, what would you leave our listeners with if you had to say, you know, two to three points on, um, obviously, we've discussed change comes from the top, but it also starts with you as a person, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of the cliche, be the change you want to see. But what are the two or three things you would say to um, leaders um, as they are leading teams and companies, be it a team of three or a team of 3,000, yeah. on what really to focus on um, to be successful as we go through this just constant state of change we find ourselves living in. Yeah. Um, so it is really begin within, show up for yourself first. You cannot show up for another. You cannot lead fully if you are not, if you are not fulfilling yourself. Um, so, you know, things like self-care, we're hearing that word more and more and more making the time I had to make the decision. Did I want to keep, you know, I took a pay cut. I live in a much smaller house. I live in a very different, you know, my life in the mountains is very different than it was in the city, but my quality of life is a thousand times greater. And so I can't put a price tag on that. You know, Mm -hmm. my, everything became so much easier. And so we, you know, change does mean that things will look different. Change doesn't have to mean bad. Change means we get to decide. Yet we must first start with ourselves and say, am I compromising? Because one of my favorites is we get what we tolerate. We really do get what we tolerate. So if you don't like the results that you're seeing in your life, that's nobody else's fault. You get to look and take personal accountability. And that doesn't mean you're doing things wrong. It just means this is an invitation to get curious and to ask yourself, well, what does this mean to me? Get curious about these words, these, these uh, you know paradigms that you've created for yourself. And just ask yourself, is this still serving me fully today? It, am I showing up the way I want to be? Am I parenting the way I want? Am I leading the way I want? Am I loving the way I want? You know, we can dissect this down into every aspect of life, but today for leadership, am I leading the way I want? And what, if anything, would allow me to lead even, you know, more fully, more compassionately, more wholeheartedly? So remember to begin within. And, and that's, that's the biggest work. We keep thinking mm. we need another program. We need another tool. We need another system. We need another piece of software. We need another technology. We are the technology. Mm. And it's not out there. It's just not. It really isn't here. So to me, I mean, that, that's where it all begins. Yeah. And then to remember that you're not the one that has to do it all. As a leader, it is about the more fully that we are willing to show up. I would have, I would have the listeners think about, you know, who really inspires you? Who draws you in? What are the storytellers you love to listen to and why? And if I would challenge anyone, I bet their answers there, it's going to be somebody with charisma, somebody with heart, somebody, you know, Brene Brown's uh, Ted talk was like the most, her very first one on vulnerability was the, the most uh, popular Ted talk download of all time, because she showed up raw, fully raw and people resonate with that and went, oh my gosh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could be more of that. So when we think about the storytellers and the leaders that draw us in, then, then align with that. What do you feel? Where's your gap? And how can you start allowing yourself to trust your own voice, your own heart, your own knowledge, and to realize it's more than a system. We're now being called into the unknown. And if you do take the time to truly begin within yourself, trust yourself, 
you're going to show up. And then the last thing I would say is flexibility. We have been too rigid and flexibility is so overlooked. Flexibility is adaptability. And, you know, you said it earlier, Roz, from the other talk, stress is a good thing. Stress is a natural part of growth. There's eustress, good stress. There's distress, bad stress. Stress becomes bad when we do not take time to rest and recover. And that's that flexibility. So we cannot always drive. We cannot always hustle. We cannot always grind it out. We must rest and recover. We must yin and yang off and on, right? So think about flexibility as a container to how to show up. That is fantastic, Melissa. And I don't think any textbook could uh, could teach us, uh, I think, what you've you've given us inside it on, which is just really raw and it's at the core of who we are as a people. So thank you for bringing that wonderfully fresh perspective uh, to change. And I think to our listeners and our leaders is actually, it's sometimes just stepping back and really focusing on the person. And I think Melissa's really given us a good powerful feel for how to to not forget that which is such an important thing so melissa thank you so much for joining us on the show today um i know patrick and i have uh, a million questions and we always we always want to keep going and keep going and i think this conversation is one of them so just thank you so much it's been amazing having you on the show uh it's been my pleasure thank it's you fantastic thank you both